time for another episode of The Father's Truth. The show where real men band together, stand up for father's rights, and bring the father's truth out of the darkness, out of the darkness, and in to the light. Giving fathers a voice everywhere. A broadcast brought to you by the Father's Lives Matter Network. Here's your host, Alan Donovan. All right, guys. It's a great Friday night. We're here with another episode of The Father's Truth. Tonight, I've got Alex Baker with me. He's a composer, a songwriter, and a music producer who has over a thousand credits for music on network TV. He's, he also has a law degree, and he's got a wealth of experience in family law and civil litigation. He's working on um, future film projects and activism to reform the family law system. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on, Alan. Yeah, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. So you reached out to me. Um, you talked to Corey Saffold, I believe. And he gave you my number and you reached out to me and here you are. Here I am. Yeah, I met Corey uh, kind of by accident, I guess, in court. Uh, we both have the same family law judge. And I was in the courtroom waiting for my hearing to go. And there was his hearing. And um, this judge just did some of the same kind of stuff to him that she had been doing to me. I mean, he was there just trying to, to see his kid, right? He, he has a, you know, another messed up uh, visitation situation. Mm -hmm. His ex-wife is not letting him have the court ordered visitation. And he was there just like, you know, your honor, I'm just trying to reconnect with my daughter. What, you know, what do I need to do? And she wasn't having any of it. She wouldn't let him talk, just cut him off. And when we tried to talk again, just yelled over him, you know, threatened him. And that was it. Like the hearing was over, threw him out. And uh, so, I, yeah, I went up and introduced myself uh, to him after that. And so we, you know, we got you know, and it, it sounds like it's a pretty crazy situation there in California because I talked to another father on the show the other night who's in California and he's got the the same kind of thing going on where mm -hmm. these judges just don't seem to give a crap about what the law is and how they interpret the law. It just kind of seems like they're doing their own thing and that's all there is to it. Nobody can say anything. You know, nobody can do anything. You just got to kind of deal with it. Yeah. I, I sort of break it down into, into two, uh, two different levels of it. Uh, on the one hand, just the way the laws are written, there's so much uh, flexibility or the, the actual legal term of art is discretion, okay? Mm -hmm. That the judges basically can do and order whatever they want uh, in pretty much any situation, which is the same way as saying that there is no law. In a lot of cases, there just isn't anything that that from the outside you would recognize as being the law. I mean, when I was in law school, I mean, they taught us that um, you, you have the facts, you try to figure out what the facts are of the situation. Then once you know the facts, you can look to the law and figure out whether this is or is not um, legal, right? Um, and it, that's just not how it works um, in family court because all this discretion. Then the second thing is there are still some areas of the law where there actually is some very definite statutes that say this, 
And, and then you get into those situations where, where even in that situation, these judges are just so bold and so defiant that they will just ignore statutory black letter law and just screw people over. And um, well, so I've well, got- let me, let me ask you this. So do you think, because I know going back to my own situation and when I was studying family law and everything and figuring out what I was gonna do, there's the tender years doctrine and then there's, you know, in the best interest of the child. I mean, to me, it kind of seems like, you know, going through my own situation, talking to you on the phone, you know, talking to Corey and talking to all these other fathers, it kind of t- tends to seem like the tender years doctrine never really went away. That that's still in the background. And that seems like what a lot of these judges are falling back on when it comes to giving their ruling. Yeah, it, it's... Um... I mean, one thing that's going on a ton in California is these uh, domestic violence restraining orders, which are, are so common now that, I mean, it's gotten a nickname. I mean, they call it the silver, silver bullet. bullet technique. Yep. And, and um, the, the definition of so-called uh, abuse, uh, domestic violence abuse has gotten so, um, so broad and so, um, and so vague that um, nobody really knows uh, what it means. I mean, like take my situation where I had a domestic violence restraining order uh, issued against me because of two things. One, um, I filed a lawsuit against my ex-wife who was also my ex-business partner. Um, And two, I made an internet blog where I was talking about it. Um, so, but it, as it turns out in the DVPA, which is California's uh, domestic violence prevention act, there's a whole list of things that could constitute domestic violence abuse. And the first part of the list is everything that should be there. If you beat, uh, if you strike, if you sexually abuse, all this stuff, all that's fine. But then there's a whole list of other terms. Um, one of which is disturb the peace. And we don't really know what that means. And then there was a, a case, a very famous case called the Nad Carney case that uh, was trying to find out what disturbing the peace means. And they found that it could mean disturbing the peace of mind of the other person. And to define that, this court said that disturbing the peace means any conduct that destroys the mental or emotional calm of the other person, okay? So now what does that mean? Or maybe a better way to put it is what doesn't that mean? Um, Conduct that destroys the emotional calm of the other person actually doesn't tell you anything about the conduct of the accused person. All it talks about is the state of mind, the emotions, of the accuser. That's it. How is anybody supposed to know what kind of, I mean, mean, a woman can get highly pissed off because you, I don't know, forgot to take out the trash or something like that, right? I mean, but that's, that's what the law said. And, you know, in my case, they brought this restraining order. um, And and first, there's, it's two stages, right? They first, they bring a a temporary order, and then there's a a hearing to see if there's going to be a permanent order. My hearing ended up going on for 11 months, but the temporary order, the judge 
ordered me restrained not only against my ex-wife, but also against our two kids. And my ex-wife had not even requested that part in, in her temporary, but this ended up being the uh, engine of alienation, I guess you could call it. But, you know, during that proceeding, you know, it was all about, you know, my civil litigation, which I had already won a lawsuit against my ex-wife, but I had to bring another one because of her fraud and forgery and all this stuff. Um, and I asked the judge, I kept trying to present evidence that my lawsuits had merit to them mm -hmm. because to me, that's the issue. Am I suing my ex-wife uh, just to harass her? Or do these lawsuits have merit? Because I mean, last time I checked and in law school, we learned First Amendment of the Constitution has a right to petition. You have a constitutional right to file a lawsuit. Um, and the judge said, um, I'm not going to consider if this has merit or not. I said, why not? She said, because it doesn't matter. I said, why not? She said, because whether your cases have merit or not really isn't, it doesn't matter. What matters is the effect that it has on your ex-wife. And that's exactly the, the, the judge's words. And I, you know, and she ended up, you know, putting, you know, you know, doing this domestic violence, uh, permanent restraining order. So my name is in the, the criminal database and, and all this other stuff. And I mean, I appealed that the appeals court. Um, oh man, uh, what a, what a business that was. I mean, they just completely misstated everything. And that I took it to the California Supreme court. They wouldn't hear it. I took it to the United States Supreme court. They wouldn't hear it. So, um, yeah, boy, these, uh, yeah, these, uh, this, uh, this DV law in California is really something. So let's, let's go back to the start. How did this all start out for you? Um, well, for um, 25 or more than 20 years, um, I was married and business partners with a, a woman whose name is Claire Marlowe. And um, we were both musicians and um, I was kind of a touring uh, rock musician at the time. And I was writing a lot of my own material, but I was busy going out on the road and, and doing that. She was um, already pretty connected in the, the music publishing, the writing and producing and music publishing world. She had had a record deal back in the 80s. And... Um, we got together. Um, I, I really felt like she was my best friend um, at, at, at the time when we got together. You know, we had some of the same kind of, you know, musician stories and that sort of thing. And we formed a business partnership and um, things were doing well. We, we hooked up with this. Uh, we did a lot of different gigs, but the one that became our main bread and butter gig for a long time was we hooked up with this... Um, record company and started doing uh, so-called production music, which are these uh, great big batches of um, music in all, all different kinds of styles that then gets licensed to, um, uh, to film and TV. And um, so they would uh, pay us, um, you know, contract money on the front end. And then when the pieces of music actually get used on a TV show, um, then there's, 
performance royalty money that comes in on, on the back end. Um, and she, she's a musician, um, but especially after our first child was born in 1996, um, and certainly after our second child uh, was born in 2003, um, the way our whole relationship uh, sort of shook out was I did all the creative stuff, or at least 99% of it, in the recording studio, writing and producing all this music. And she handled the business side. She, you know, got, kept us in record deals for 20 years. And, you know, I still, even despite all of this absolute insanity and cruelty, you know, I still have gratitude that she was the one with the, the connections to, to make that happen. Um, and, and, and I was so, you know, I thought I had this dream life, man. I mean, you know, here, all I had to do was be, you know, be a stay at home, work at home dad and take care of my kids, which I did. Um, and play with my, with my toys and, and, and make music. And somehow it turned into this, this great, um, you know, million dollar house in the hills in Sherman Oaks with a swimming pool and a pool guy and a, a gardener and our kids went to private school and, and the whole bit, you know, and meanwhile, um, you know, my wife, she took care of all the contracts and the insurance and the mortgages and the taxes and all that stuff. I didn't have to deal with any of that. And I, I couldn't have been happier. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't have been happier. I thought I had this dream life, but, um, um, for a long, long time, she and I were really not, um, romantically together. Okay. Um, and there was an instance well over 10 years ago now where uh, I was unfaithful, um, in marriage. I was with another woman and, um, and she found out about it. And we decided um, that we were going to work on the marriage, that all she needed to do was, um, you know, regain trust in me, you know. So we went to some therapists and then we went to another one and all this. And we ended up spending six, seven years in this mode where I thought um, we were still working on things. She still just needed to regain trust in me. And we were just running the business, cranking out the music um, and parenting the kids and doing all of the normal um, kid stuff. And um, it wasn't until about 2014 that um, I started, you know, figuring, you know, we're never going to get back together. I mean, this is really over. And she was really um, sort of overtly trying to just get rid of me. She basically just wanted me to go away. She didn't, you know, want to work on anything. Um, so I filed for divorce in June of 2014 and, um, nothing really happened much in the divorce for almost a whole year. But then in 2015, um, she, she lawyered up and, um, the first thing that, that she hit me with was she filed this motion for uh, to um, for sole control of our house and for sole custody of our our youngest daughter. Our oldest daughter had become an adult by then, um, and 
I found out eventually that she had put our kid in therapy with this, with this therapist. And, uh, oh man, so here's, here's one, you know, here's like dirty lawyer trick number 17 or something. I mean, someday I, I really got to write my family law survival guide, which is, uh, uh, you know, I really, I really want to do this. But so this therapist, uh, my wife had put our kid in therapy and just filled this therapist's head full of all kinds of stuff. And they show up with this declaration at this, the very first hearing in family law. And I wasn't even served this declaration. So I show up, I don't have a lawyer. I just, I don't even barely know what's going on. And uh, the judge said, you know, and, and eventually I found out that this declaration said, uh, a therapist, well, well, I've never met the father. It is my understanding that he's a drug addict, that he's an unsafe driver, that the kids are afraid to be alone with him, and that he's an emotional child abuser. So okay. just painting you in the worst possible light that and, they could. And, and you know, and, painting me in the worst possible light, absolutely. And then, but this, it says right in the therapist declaration, I've never met the father. And what I eventually learned, and of course she was making a custody recommendation. She was saying, I recommend that the mother get sole custody. What I eventually learned is that the uh, ethical standards, the ethical rules for marriage and family therapists in California, at least, state very clearly that a therapist can uh, can treat a child or make a custody recommendation, but not both. That's called dual roles. And then there's another rule that clearly says you cannot offer opinions about somebody that you've not evaluated. I mean, that only makes sense, oh, right? Absolutely. I mean, that, and um, so I ended up, I, I ended up, uh, eventually I found out that, um, you know, the, uh, about this declaration that I just told you about. Um, but at that first hearing, the judge said, well, you know, these are some very, very serious allegations against you, Mr. Baker, you know, and, and, and I'm like, you know, you've, I'll give you 30 seconds. It's literally what this judge said. I'll give you 30 seconds to argue your case because I have another case that's coming in and I need to close down the courtroom for a confidential something or other, right? Wow. And, and, and I'm like, well, I haven't even been served this declaration. I know it exists. Well, there's a proof of service right here says you've been served. I go, but they didn't. Here's the papers. You want to look at them? No, I, I order sole control of the house to your ex-wife or to your wife at the time and sole custody on a temporary basis, mind you, but sole custody, legal and physical to the mother um and then that was it bang the gavel get out and i'm like whoa uh so that was that was my wake-up call you know that was um you know when it just just the emotional devastation first just really kicked in it's like all of a sudden i'm not even allowed to see my own kid i'm not allowed to go into my own house and anything, you know, and, and the situation was uh, my wife had put our family business solely in her name. 
She had closed her joint business bank account, opened up a new one solely in her own name. She had taken all these music properties solely in her own name. She had gotten uh, uh, both houses. So we had a, our house and a rental house solely in her own name. I eventually ended up finding, discovering a stack of forged contracts and forged credit card applications, forgeries of my name on oh, wow. all this stuff. Um, so, um, but I started off this, this litigation with nothing. I mean, I went from happy, successful, uh, career guy with a really blah marriage, but with two wonderful kids, a dream career and money and houses to all of a sudden overnight after one court hearing, I have no career. I have no access to my recording studio because that's in the house that I just got locked out of. I have no children. I have no money. I have nothing. I had my Jeep, the one Jeep, and uh, she let me throw a few things into my Jeep. Um, and I mean, she had cleaned out the joint bank account. I mean, I was like, that's it. I had, I had a Jeep. So you're left destitute, basically. I, I, I was absolutely destitute. And, um, you know, I tried, I tried to get a lawyer at that time. And I told my story to a, a bunch of lawyers. And, um, you know, almost everyone said, well, if you don't have money, uh, I'm not going to talk to you. Um, there was a couple that would, were willing to work by putting a lien against the house. But as soon as they found out the house was not no longer in my name, um, <laughs> they passed too. So yeah, I had, um, it was, uh, it was really, really rough right, right in there. Wow. That's, you know, that's pretty crazy that it could go that far south that quick. And the fact that the judge gave you, you know, a grand total of 30 seconds to plead your case, but you know, it, it doesn't surprise me. You know, it kind of seems like that's fairly typical in the family court in the United States anymore. And it's just unreal. It, it is. Um, and, you know, I, I spent a bunch of time, you know, thinking about, you know, where the bias really is. I mean, I, I certainly felt like is completely biased against men. Um, and I know a lot of other men who, who absolutely feel that way. And for sure, I think at least, you know, 80, 90% of the time, men in family court get the, you know, get the raw end of the deal. But I, I, I think I've really started to, to put together the, the, the bias really isn't necessarily against men because I know some stories mm -hmm. of, of some um, uh, you know of some women who've gotten like really messed over in family court too yeah um, and um, like I said I, I think maybe it's about you know 80 or 90 percent men but there you know it can work against oh, yeah. you know and, and I think and it definitely does go both ways Without a doubt. And, I, and so I, I, I think, I don't know. I mean, we'll maybe never figure it completely out, but as best as I have it figured out today, um, the real thing that's going on is that it's just not about men or women or justice. Um, it's about two things. Um, one, how can we destroy this family? How can we cause maximum 
pain and, and anguish? Um, and two, how do we get the money? How, how do we take, how do we extract the money and give it to the lawyers and then also the social workers and the, all the support people? Yeah. Um, and the way that that works is by maximizing conflict. And so um, they, they, they get you in and they, they'll, they'll take your kid away. Um, and so why? So that you can fight to, to get him or her back, right? Or they'll take your house away. Why? So you can fight to get your fair share of it and, and on and on and on. Um, and it's just so, um, um, the, the laws and the whole, the whole way it works is so um, unconstitutional in terms of what I was taught in law school about, you know, what kind of a legal system the constitution actually authorizes. There's so many things that that are just the way it goes in family court that would never be tolerated in, even in just regular civil court. You know, um, there's, you know, like a, a temporary, um, a temporary custody order, right? Like what happened to me and what happens to like everybody. It's like, okay, it's only temporary, but for right now, uh, she, she has, has the kid. Well, wait a minute. Okay. That is, that's a criminal penalty. Okay, you have a, a fundamental right to family unity, to be a parent. And there are lots of Supreme Court cases that have said exactly that. Um, and you can't have a, a fundamental right, like your liberty or your, your, your property or your family, something like that, taken away from you without due process. And, and, and that would include a jury trial, it would include a right to an attorney. It would include the right to confront your accusers. It would include the right to examine the, the witnesses against you. It, um, uh, just just all, all kinds of, of stuff, a procedure that you're entitled to. Uh, but they, they, they've stood that on their head. They're like, no, we're just going to do this. We're going to take your kid. We're going to take your house, whatever it is. And then the procedure can start. It's like, no. No, that's no, no. You want to, you want to make some kind of finding. You have to have a trial, and that's what that's what a court is supposed to be for. Here's another thing that is just un un. It's unconstitutional, and it's unlike any other court. Um, temporary orders, um, or, or or the the notion that orders are always modifiable. Mm -hmm. um, now, in all of the rest of law. Um, there's a, a concept called a res judicata uh, or collateral estoppel. Those are two closely related things. And, and res judicata literally means already adjudicated. And what it means is once that there's been um, a, a, a judgment on something, um, it's over. You can't, you can't retry the same issue or the same case um, over again. You can appeal it up to a higher court, um, and then maybe there might be grounds to take it up to a Supreme Court, but then that, that's it, that's over. Um, except in, in family law, okay? In family law, well, I think things are always modifiable. We can always go back and, and try to uh, undo something or redo something, and uh, just, um, it's, uh, 
Well, I, I know this much. Uh, me and you aren't the only ones who no. are, are, are. Absolutely are, are, not. You know, we're one of millions at this point, you know, because, you know, in doing this, you know, in the time that I've been doing this, so I've had my, the Father's Lives Matter, that's around five and a half years old, give or take. And in that time, I've heard from men around the world, you know, the UK, Switzerland, um, India, you know, China. You know, Canada, it's everywhere. It's not, it's not just something that's prevalent here in the United States. And, you know, so that really makes me wonder, you know, if this is worldwide, you know, what's the end game here that we're looking at? Because there's, there's something in, there's some kind of end game that's going on. It's just a question of what is it? Um, I have some thoughts. Um, I think best as i got it figured out today i'm i'm always open to um guys we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back hey there this is xander alan's son a couple times a month my dad will be dropping a podcast featuring fathers from around the world who are fighting to be in their children's life each episode is uniquely different story from a father's perspective my dad is always looking for fathers to tell their stories. Reach out to him at fatherslivesmatter at gmail.com. Thank you. All right, guys. Hey, welcome back. And I've got Alex with me still. And uh, we're just, we're talking about all the fun of family court, his story and kind of everything that he's experienced. And I'm, I'm picking his brain on some things. So before we went to that break, um, I was asking you what you thought the end game was in all this. <clears throat> Best as I got it figured out, um, Karl Marx, um, 150 odd years ago, wrote Communist Manifesto. And he identified correctly, I believe, that the family, the nuclear family, is the enemy of the state. Um, and in his view, uh, they needed to abolish the family as the fundamental building block of society and replace it with um, the the state the uh, as 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 mommy as the great mommy daddy um, and um, so i I think that I think that 's true I think the family is the natural enemy of the state i mean a, an intact well functioning family essentially doesn't need the state for much, you know, um, you just, you just don't. Um, and, um, so I think there's that. And then when they can figure out, you know, a way to just, you know, make a lot of money and get a lot of power in the process and make a, a significant amount of people just feel, uh, you know, just subjugated and, and, and put upon and helpless and hopeless. Um, that just um, justifies the state's existence um, even, even more. Um, so, um, you know, end game, I, you know, I, um, I don't know. Uh, it's about, it's about, about all I have, you know, um, uh, on, on, on that. So, well, you know, and, and I think that makes perfect sense because when you look at the system as a whole, you look at one of the big backbones of the family court system is of course, you know, um, child support, huge thing, huge thing. 
And, you know, when you look at a lot of these cases, you look at what fathers have to pay, and then you look at a situation where the father has custody and what the mother is ordered to pay. There's a huge disparity between the two of them. I mean, if you look at everything equally, you know, that father is paying out, you know, anywhere from two to three times what the mother is ordered to pay out. And that's always kind of blown my mind because I know in my own situation, when I went through it, you know, I was paying 600 some dollars a month. Now, when the roles were reversed and I got custody of my son, I was offered $75 a month. Wow. And I'm just like, how, how does this, you know, math, how do you get, how are you guys figuring this out? And I asked the judge, well, you know, it's the sliding scale based off of your income and her income all computed together. And I'm like, but she doesn't have an income. So how are you figuring this out? Number one, you know, and that's the other part of it. I talked to so many fathers that are going through this where they're like, you know what? She never turned in her financials. So the court has no idea what her financials are. They're just arbitrarily, you know, assigning her a, a number amount and it could be wrong. It could be way wrong, you know, but that's what they do. And it just kind of blows me away that you have that aspect of it. And then, um, you look at state welfare, you know, you look at how many of these single mothers are on welfare and then also get, you know, child support on top of it. And they're still getting thousands of dollars a month in child support on top of thousands of dollars in, you know, food benefits, electricity, rent, the whole nine yards. And, you know, one of the things I discovered was that, you know, it's part of the social security act title IVD four, where the uh, state courts get a kickback from the federal government for every child support case on the books. Yep. You know, so what that means to me is, you know, the more the courts stick it to the fathers and the more child support cases they get on the books, the more money they're bringing in and the more ev- money everybody gets. So I think you're very on the ball when you said that the second part was money. Cause I think that's a huge thing. You know, I think if you were to take money out of the family court system, you know, it wouldn't be half of the monster that it is currently. Right. You know, and um, so you were talking about just the calculation of the child support payment now. So there's a law. Um, I don't know if it's the same everywhere, but in California, yeah, your child support payment is based on two things. One, income and expense uh, declarations by the, the two sides and then parenting time. And so if she has custody, um, then the less parenting time that I have, the more I have to pay. Well, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that there's a strong financial incentive for her to reduce my parenting time, which Mm -hmm. is exactly what my ex did, uh, even back when she was allowing visitation at all. And then, you know, she figured out she could, uh, you know, it's the, the less parenting time that I get, the, the, the more um, that I have to pay, you know, and um, this, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, that, that, that your ex hadn't even submitted her financials and my ex submitted all these fraudulent financials. And that was another thing that really escalated our case is I was able to get her bank records at a certain point uh, in, in a subpoena to the bank and I had all of her multiple accounts and I got a financial expert and we went through and did this complete spreadsheet on all of her financials. 
And then we were under orders to file a new income and expense declaration and to file a copy of our uh, latest tax returns because that's what my child support payment was going to be based on. Mm -hmm. Well, we proved that her income and expense was just wildly fraudulent. She was just way understating her income and way overstating her business expenses. And we're like, here, you know, here's, here's the papers. And the judge just wouldn't have it. I mean, they kept hitting me with this procedural stuff and all this stuff. And I, you know, it is um, the, the, the notion that the court can't figure out how to get people's financials, right? It's just, it, it's just false. Okay. Because if you want to, you want to talk about a case, a type of a case where the court will get the financials in front of it in no time, just look at what happens in a bankruptcy case. Okay. Oh, yeah. In a bankruptcy case, all right, you have to submit all of your financials and it's like your real estate, your credit cards, your debts, your ass, whatever it is, you put it on the table, you've got 30 days. And if you don't, um, that's, you know, that's fraud, that's contempt, that's a crime and they're coming after you. Okay. Well, these financials are at issue, you know, unless you can settle, you know, the financials are at issue in basically every divorce, you know, so why, you know, why, why not um, just like, just, just, do it like that. Just make, you know, make it a requirement that everybody disclose everything and, you know, we'll get to the bottom of it. But no. well, it, And it seems like, you know, in pretty much every case I've ever heard, you know, the family court plays by an entirely separate set of rules that are way outside of, of the court system on a whole. You know, like what you were talking about earlier, you know, these temporary orders and adjusting these orders and rewriting them, like you said, that's not going to happen in a, in you know criminal court that's not going to happen but in family court it's kind of seems like they do whatever they want and they're above reproach when it comes to that it is um so they consider the family court to be a court of equity um which is just it, it it's wrong it's upside down and 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 it's backwards so uh we inherited our legal system from medieval england basically yep. And um, back then there were two different types of courts. There were courts of law and courts of equity. And um, you had to first go to a court of law to see if you had a legal remedy. Um, there's something in the law that you can find that gives you relief. And if you can't uh, find that in the court of law, then you can go to a court of equity in a court of equity, you basically just argue fairness. So this, what happened is unfair. That's, that's it. That's what equity means. And that's what you can argue in a, in a court of equity. Um, uh, so <clears throat> nowadays they've combined courts of law and courts of equity. It's just one court, but those principles still exist. Um, there are still legal issues and there are equitable issues and you cannot pursue equitable issues until you've exhausted your legal remedy. Like an injunction, for example, mm -hmm. is an equitable remedy. But to get any kind of an injunction, you have to first say um, that I, I, I have no remedy at law. Okay, and that's just the way equity works. You always have to argue, this is why I have no remedy under the law. Well, in, in, in family law, 
a lots of these are legal issues. I mean, anything involving money is just like, by definition, this is a, a legal issue. I mean, assets and property ownership, I mean, this is all legal stuff. And yet they just, somebody somewhere, I don't know who, just said, eh, we're going to call this a court of equity. Well, why? Well, uh, I think it's because they wanted to not have a jury. Um, now, so the Constitution says in the, in the Sixth Amendment, you have a right to a jury in a criminal trial. In the Seventh Amendment, you have a right to a jury in a civil case. So I kind of think, you know, that uh, it had something to do with that because the way it was supposed to be is that judges were never, ever, ever supposed to be deciding cases, okay? Uh -huh. Determining the facts. I mean, there's the facts and there's the law, okay? And it's the judge's job to try the law, but it's a jury's job to try the facts. And that's always the way it was. Um, and that's still the way it is um, in, a, in a civil case. But, you know, and there's just no right to a jury trial. And I'm, you know, they go on and on about, uh, about this craziness. So circling back to your situation and I guess going further back to how you met Corey and what you watched that judge do to him and what happened to you, what, what kind of remedy do you guys have? Or is there a remedy with this kind of situation? Because I know in some states, you know, you can go above that judge's head, you know, to, a, a, you know, I guess it's a, an appointed group that oversees everything. But I mean, is that really the best approach? Or is there even an approach to go with on this? Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, what I've been racking my, in my head about for, you know, for a number of years now. Um, and there's so many things in my case that, I mean, there's plenty of stuff that, I, decisions that I just don't like, but there's a number of rulings that have come down in my case that are just flat illegal. Like, um, I've been trying to do meaningful discovery against my ex-wife for this whole time. And they just object to everything. And, um, and so they not only wouldn't consider my motion to compel discovery, but then at a certain point, this judge, whose name is Emily T. Spear, by the way, uh, really fraudulent, corrupt judge, Emily T. Spear. Um, she just, on no motion, on no nothing, decided to close discovery. Now, in California, the law, statutory law, is that discovery closes 30 days before the date the trial is set. At that time, back in October, when she closed discovery, there was no trial set. So this is just illegal. Just recently, a few weeks ago, I was trying to compel responses to the final declaration of disclosure, which there's a uh, statutory requirement that both sides do this final declaration of disclosure. And the judge just said, I'm going to waive her duty to serve you a final declaration of disclosure. Well, there's all kinds of stuff on there. We've got real estate at issue that, uh, and bank records and all this stuff that we need for a fair trial. And the judge just says, eh, I'm going to say she doesn't have to do it. Well, there's no basis. There's no nothing, you know? So um, there are, you know, so you could think about trying to sue a judge. Mm -hmm. um, and, 
by all rights, you ought to be able to sue a judge if they like intentionally injure you the same way you can sue yeah. anybody else if they intentionally injure you. But there is this thing called judicial immunity, which is. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to bring that up and, and ask about that because I've been told that you cannot hold a judge legally responsible for their actions on the bench. That's basically true. So what, what it comes down to is um, they're going to be absolutely immune for their judicial acts. Um, so, but there are some cases that find that if a judge does something in the complete absence of jurisdiction, that that is not a judicial act and they can be sued for that. So in my case, uh, I am actually getting ready to try to sue um, this judge um, because there's some things that I can point to. I mean, she made a rule, you know, she's made these rulings that there was just no statutory or legal basis whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I mean, the general rule is you cannot sue a judge. You can't sue the state, um, certainly for damages. You can't sue the federal government, except in a few um, situations. So um, yeah, um, what, uh, you know, what's, what's the remedy? I mean, um, certain types of orders and judgments are appealable. Um, mm -hmm. Others are not. So um, you can always find out um, if what just happened is or is not appealable. Um, and if it's not appealable, you have to file what's called a writ. Uh, but I mean, the fundamental problem is that you're basically asking the court system to, you know, to, to judge itself, you know, and they and obviously know. they're not going to do that. They, they know. Yeah. Okay. This is not, um, you know, I've, I've seen so much, Alan. It's, it's, you know, I came into this thinking, you know, you know, maybe this one judge, okay, maybe he's got it out for me or, or this other one is just stupid or, or this, or I didn't present this the right way when that happened or all this stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. This system is corrupt from the get go. These judges know what's going on. All these attorneys know what's going on. Um, and, and there's, it, it is just dirty, dirty, dirty. I can't, even in civil court, I can't tell you the, the number of times I've seen attorneys throw their own clients under the bus and just, you know, conspire with the other side to destroy oh, yeah. these cases. Oh, absolutely. You know, I had that happen in my situation. Come to find out that my lawyer that I hired was good friends with my son's mom's lawyer and you know on the sly she was divulging you know you know uh private information to the other lawyer and i was just like are you freaking kidding me really and and and, and there's i mean there's been cases what happened to attorney client privilege uh, right you know and, and uh right you know i i had a matter uh in federal court where I was basically handling it my, uh, myself, but then I, I got some money out of the family law case and I retained this top high-end law firm to step in um, and, and take over the case. And the very first thing that they had to do was file this one very important paper in a summary judgment motion, this uh, opposition to the summary judgment, um, which was completely drafted, ready to file, 
and they needed to file it by a particular date. And not only did they not file that, but they did file something totally else that was not supposed to be filed. But worse, there was information in that paper that they did file on my behalf that I did not tell them and could only have come from the other side's attorney. And get this, Alan, this paper that they filed was written on the pleading template from the other law firm. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Wow. And I eventually tried to make hay of that. I, I eventually was able to get rid of this, these attorneys, go back to representing myself, tried to bring this to the attention of the court. Hey, there's something really, really nefarious going on here. And wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden, that document that I was just talking about, poof, just disappears, disappears out of the yeah. docket. <laughs> it's amazing how, you know, these documents, they just grow legs and they walk away. <laughs> you, you know, know and they, they expect you to believe that, that, you know, they lost the document. I, I mean, I know of a case where the judge <clears throat> was hearing this case, man, male judge, <clears throat> uh, and was having sex in chambers with the woman and making rulings in her favor and against the guy. And it was, wow. and this was the factual finding in the case. Okay. He like admitted it and they found that, yes, this is what's been going on. He's having sex with the party to the case that he's supposed to be adjudicating. And this still was not enough to pierce this judicial immunity. Um, and, and, and the reason they give for this stupid law is, uh, well, it's not stupid, it's evil. For this evil yeah. law um, is that uh, uh, judicial immunity is necessary so that judges can maintain their independence. And I'm like, no, this again is upside down and backwards. It's like if you're not going to punish them for doing things like having sex <laughs> with, with, with the woman while ruling against the man, that's exactly why you're not independent. That's, you know, exactly. so that, that, that's like the, the worst law of, of all is probably judicial immunity. The second worst law that I should, I'd love to tell all your uh, listeners about in case they, they hadn't um, run into this yet. This, but it's something that, that, that people need to know, I think, if they're going to get in, in any kind of court situation. And that is this, <clears throat> this, uh, this law called the litigation privilege. Um, and this, too, is um, uh, a, a law that we inherited from uh, common law in England in olden days, but it's, it's still the law. Um, and the litigation privilege means that... <clears throat> You can't sue somebody because of what they said about you in court. Um, uh, it's not, in other words, uh, you might think it's perjury, um, but perjury is only a crime, okay? So perjury is a false statement about a material issue um, you know, under oath, um, and that is a crime of perjury, but it is not a civil lawsuit. Even if the person defamed you, even if it's false, even if it injured you, even if it cost you a million dollars, it does, does not matter. They're absolutely privileged. It's absolute immunity. 
And not only can you not sue them, if you try to sue somebody uh, for what they said in a court proceeding, um, they can, you know, they can nail you in an, what's called an anti-slap motion and get, you know, big attorney fees against you and then really, really nail you. Um, and the same kind of thing is with the judges. It's like the, the, the rationale is supposed to be that um, we don't want to intimidate witnesses from coming forward. So we can't, you know, we have to immunize them against this to maintain a, a fair system. And it's like, no, that's the opposite. It's like, if you're gonna allow people to lie in court and get away with it, then you should not be surprised that people come to court and lie every day, which is what I see in court every single oh, day. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not even aware of a single case that I've ever been aware of where there just wasn't like just lies, you know, and, and these judges, they know it, they know it and they just don't care. Well, yeah. and they don't care. And it seems like a lot of times they encourage it. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, one of the things that I tell fathers when I'm talking to them, you know, because a lot of these guys, that I work with, they've never stepped in family court ever. This is their first time. They don't know what to experience. And one of the things I tell them is, hey, you know, you need to be ready because when you walk through those doors, your rights are not going to be upheld. You know, because that, that was my thought. When I went into family court the first time, I walked through those doors thinking, okay, you know, I've got, you know, the, all these binders of evidence, all this other stuff, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a damn good father. You know, right. I'm a manager at UPS. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't do any of this stuff. Right. You know, so it should be an open shut case. You know, <laughs> and I walked in there thinking that my rights were going to be upheld and my son's rights were going to be upheld. I couldn't have been further from the truth on that fact. And so I tell fathers, you have to be prepared and understand the fact that you're going into a hostile environment. It is 100% hostile. And you're going to be in an environment where, you know, the more mudslinging, the better, you know, they don't care about you. Your rights are not important to them. Yeah, no, um, right. It's, it's not only is the, the mudslinging and just the out and out lying, not punished. It's, there's an incentive to, 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 to do it. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're not going to punish anybody, then of course, you know, um, you know, you, you make, you know, it usually starts off, there's a true allegation one way, and then the best defense against that is to just throw something false the other way. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I brought a, a motion, they, may, they call it an RFO, request for orders in California, but I brought a motion for whatever. And time after time, um, I'd have my hearing set for a particular date, and then they'd come up with some nonsense and they'd file something for the same day. Um, and then like their stuff would get heard and, and mine wouldn't, and stuff like that, you know? I, um, you know, I would say to fathers out there, um, and this is, you know, it, this is a tough one because it's, it's usually not possible, but the number one thing is, if there is any way that you can avoid family court, if there's any possible way to talk some kind of sense um, that is always the, 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 just the, the best, you know, because in some sense, there's, there's things you can know. And, and I'd love to try to, um, as I said, um, 
you know, get out there a lot of, you know, my experience and what I've learned and, and to try to, uh, you know, write a book or have a, a website or, or something that's a resource um, for, for people to try to survive. There's no winning, but to yeah, try to yeah. survive. Um, but there's just, there's so much that, that is just, you can't prepare for it. It's just fundamentally Un, unfair. I mean, I've been, it's, it's like putting a, a, a jigsaw puzzle together and, and, and you eventually find out there's a whole bunch of pieces missing. And then there's some that are the piece from the wrong box. And it's like, no, there's no way, you know, and, and, and be five years into it like I am, you know, and, and spent the last three years beating myself up. Well, if I had just filed this, or if I had just known about this procedure, I should have done that. It's like, no, it's, it's, no, it, that's, that's not it. I mean, on the other hand, you find yourself, you're in the situation. What else can you do? You can either walk away from your kids and your money and your life, you know, or you can just stand there and fight, yeah. you know, and try to figure it out, you know? Um, so hopefully, I mean, I just, I want to put it out to, to whoever might be watching and listening. Um, I want to I want to drop my email address um, at, at the end at some point. I'll give it now and then remind me to give it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my email address is acebaker1234 at yahoo.com. So that's ace like the playing card, baker like bake me a cake, 1234 at yahoo.com. <clears throat> and um, there's things I want to do. I'm so overwhelmed with everything that I'm already trying to do, but um, if you're out there and you want to, you know, collaborate, team up, um, help get some, some, uh, some web presence, social media, website, um, you know, something together. I mean, I have all this stuff um, and, and I have all this um, experience and all this knowledge. And I, if, if there's somebody out, out there that can help me, um, you know, start putting it together and start getting it out there. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to hear from you, uh, by email. So, okay. So let me, let me ask you this. Um, you know, we just talked about, you were just saying, try to avoid family court. Okay. So if you're a father that has to go to family court, what would you say to that father? What are some of the things you could recommend to that father? That's going to make their life a little bit easier going down that road. Well, the, the, the first thing is you, 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 you have to just get your head around um, on legal procedure, um, just the, 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 the basics. Um, one of the most frustrating things that I've seen over and over again that I had to learn is that um, there's only certain issues that are before the court in a, in a given hearing. And so it's natural, you show up to a hearing and you don't really know that. You want to explain this and you want to explain that. And you want to say, well, she did it and all this stuff. But those issues are not relevant to what's before the judge on that day. So the first thing you got to understand is that for any hearing that's going to go down, there's something that's at issue. And you need to know what that is because not everything is that issue. So make sure you know what is that issue for that hearing. So um, how do you get an issue before the court? Um, so that you file motions or again, in, in California, they're called requests for orders. But 
Um, so they're going to file stuff against you and you always need to respond to whatever they, they file. Uh, otherwise they'll just rule against you and you can file uh, things against them. So I think it's first just try to get your, your head around the big picture, which is what, what are the issues in your situation? Okay. So it can be um, custody, all right? There's legal custody um, and there's physical custody. Legal custody is who decides um, making the decisions about medical and educational and religion and things like that for the child. Physical custody is where, does, who does the kid live with? Um, custody can be an issue. Um, money can be an issue. Um, your property, if you own property, um, that needs to be divvied up. You need to know if you're in a community property state or not. California what, is community property, correct? Correct. Um, uh, it is. And um, then, um, so child support can be at issue. Um, and so that's obviously the money that you have to pay. And, and, and it, it does not, by the way, give you the right to necessarily see your kid. Um, I, like um, so many others, have yeah. the wonderful a huge misunderstanding right there. They, a lot of fathers that I, do, that I work with think that just because they paid child support gives them the right. And I keep trying to tell them, you know, that doesn't mean anything. And, and, two and, separate and, things. And, and on top of that, um, just because you pay child support does not mean that the mother is required to spend that money on the child. It, you yeah. think it would because they call it child support, but um, unless it's super agreed, unless she's taking that money and literally buying cocaine, okay, um, it would take something that outrageous to get a judge to- Yeah, the courts aren't going to do anything about it. No, they, I mean, she literally, I mean, she can take that child support money and go buy a new pair of shoes for herself. That's totally fine. So, um, so I can save you the trouble. Don't argue that one. You know, don't come to court and say she's spending the child support money on this and I can prove it. Doesn't, doesn't matter. This is going to be a waste of, uh, of breath. So support can be an issue. There could be spousal support, um, otherwise known as alimony. Um, that can be put at issue. <clears throat> um, so that's, you know, find out what, you know, what, what the issues um, are and, and what they're, what they're not, you know, um, very, very often um, there are, there are always emotional things. I mean, there's always anger and sadness and regret and, and anguish and, 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 just all this stuff in, in, in every case. And there's a lot of stuff that has happened that pisses you off or it really hurts you. And there's stuff on the other side too. Um, but not all that stuff matters in court. So try as best you can to figure out what's relevant and what's not relevant um, and the, to any given issue. And the way you do that, so for any issue to be proven, um, you have to know what the elements of that issue are. And so you can start trying to do research and, and find out where the law is that you can look up. In California, it's called the California Family Code. Um, and you can, but, you know, to really start getting into it, um, you need to be able to look up case law. So in most places, um, you can 
get a library card, find out where there's a law library, and you can for free uh, go and do legal research on. Um, so there's a service called LexisNexis, and there's another service called Westlaw. And that's where all attorneys uh, go to, to look up cases. Um, it's boring. It's, it's incredibly isn't it ever? <laughs> mind numbing. And, and um, but the, the, the basic idea though is, um, so here's something I could say. Okay. <clears throat> um, something I can teach. Um, the, and before I say this, let me, let me say this. Uh, this is very, very important. Okay. Um, I am not an attorney. I do have a, a JD uh, uh, of a law degree. Uh, but I'm not an attorney. I'm not ever going to be an attorney. Nothing that I say is legal advice uh, to you or to anyone. Got to take that caveat out there. And um, this is my opinions and suggestions. Okay. So you should understand that just the nuts and bolts of how to make a legal argument, because anything that you're going to try to fight for in any court, uh, you have to argue. Um, so the basic structure of a legal argument is IRAC, I-R-A-C, which is issue, rule, analysis, conclusion. Okay, so the issue is something, it's a, like a yes, no question, like um, should Dave be made to pay child support? Okay, or... Uh, or if, if, if so, what is the, you know, what is the dollar amount of that child support? Okay, so that's the issue, all right? So there's always an issue. Um, the rule is the rule of law, okay? So you need to know what the law is on, on that issue. So um, when it comes to child support, the law in California, they have this computer program called the DISO Master. And you can just put your, um, your income and your expenses and some numbers into this and hers also. Click, a, click the button and it will tell you what the, the guideline support is. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the judge has to follow that, of course, because there's discretion. I mean, what does the judge have to follow, really, when you get down to it? Nothing. Um, but it's, it's, guide, it's a guideline, yeah. okay? So... Um, so you find out the rule um, and then you do your analysis or argument where um, that's where you take the facts and analyze it um, under the rule. Okay. So you say, well, you know, um, you know, she makes uh, $2,000 a month and I make this much a month and we have these expenses. Those are the facts. Right. And so, and under the rules, um, it's supposed to be this percentage of whatever. Therefore, so your conclusion is therefore, um, I reach this this um, this conclusion. Okay. So here's here's the basic structure of a legal argument. It is uh, you can start your three paragraphs with under, here, and therefore. Okay. So you say under such and such a statute or under such and such a, a case law that found whatever under, and you state the, 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 the rules of law, you state that. Then you say here, comma, and that's where you put the facts of your case and you describe what happened and you're always relating it back to the elements of that rule of law. You're showing how the facts here fit in 
to the rule of law. Here, here's what happened. And then therefore, therefore, um, I should only have to pay $400 um, a, a month in child support, not 900 like she wants or whatever. So it's under here, therefore. Okay, so that's, uh, um, um, what else? Um, you know, notice, right? So anything you do in court always has to be noticed, right? If they, if they file something, they always have to put you on notice. If you file something, you always have to serve them notice, right? So, and if you don't, that's a good excuse for the judge to throw out whatever you're trying to do. So you always got to give notice. Um, yeah, I mean, just try to figure out what's going on. Um, um, I guess on a, on a psychological level, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I got so much. I, I, you know, that's 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 rough. I don't know. There's 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 probably so many more things, yeah. you know, that that would that would come up, you know. And again, you know, email me out there and say, man, what's happening with Family Law Survival Guide? You said you're going to write that and have a whole section on dirty lawyer tricks. You know, get get busy with that, would you? And I. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask you this here because we're coming coming down to the end here. Hmm. One one of the big things. I can't believe it, man. Where did where did that hour go? That's I know it just flew right by, man. Good conversation. Tell me we can do it again, Alan. Oh, absolutely. You know, I definitely want you back on, man. It's, uh, you got it's, a wealth of knowledge. Can I just? Uh, uh, yeah, but uh, it, it just from my heart, um, it is. Um, I'm sure you've had this experience where you you. you you try to, um, you know, tell somebody about, you know, what you're going through, what you're feeling or what, and, and unless they've been through it, they, they don't, don't they don't get it. Yep. And I just want to say it, it's so great meeting you and, and, and being on and just to, um, you know, just to have a chance just to be, cause I know, I know you get it, you know, and I know oh, you, absolutely. you've been there and it, it, um, it's just, thanks, man. That's, well, I just want to say that. you know, absolutely. You know, uh, I do this for you guys. You know, I've been down that road, you know, thankfully my battle's over now. And, you know, I had, I had a watershed moment when my battle came to the end. I thought, okay, you know, the page has served its purpose. What do I do now? And I thought, well, you know, I can delete the page, go on with my life, or I can take my experience, my knowledge, and I can start working with all these other fathers that, don't have anybody, you know, they don't have anybody advocating for them. They don't have anybody to listen to them, you know, because when I was going through my stuff, you know, I didn't have anybody to listen to, you know, really that was, you know, I family members. I mean, to tell you a story, you know, when I was going down, so I had to go down to Kentucky for, for court and I'm in Montana. So, you know, we're talking almost 2000 miles away the day before I was scheduled to go down there. You know, and this was after I got my ass handed to me up here in Montana, my first time in family court. You know, my dad sat me down and he said, you know, you're not going to win. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He goes, you're not going to win in court. He goes, you need to just accept what they give you. You know, and that's my own father telling me that, that I should, I should just accept what somebody I don't know is going to give me in regards to my child. You know, I said, bullshit. I'm not going to do that. You know, and I went down there and I represented myself, you know, in fact, I represented myself the last two times in court and I won. And now I have custody of my son. 
And so getting back to what I was saying, you know, I'm taking all that experience, all that knowledge that I gained in my time and I'm helping you guys. And now with this, you know, this is my gift to you guys, your platform to speak out and tell your truth, tell your story, you know, because you guys need to be heard, you know, and that's all there is to it. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the last thing I was going to ask you here before we wrap it up, um, one of the big topics when it comes to father's rights is the ever present. Do I get a lawyer or do I go pro se? What's your thoughts on that? <clears throat> well, um, so I, I was thinking from the beginning that um, you know, I've had a, a few lawyers in, in and out of my cases and, you know, so ridiculously expensive. My, my first family law lawyer, um, you know, I, I was eventually able to borrow like five grand from somebody, gave it to him, and it got me basically one hearing and a, a couple papers filed. And then he, he wanted more. And he, he was estimating at that time that $50,000 was going to be what it would take. And I didn't have it. And I, I wouldn't have wanted to give it to him. I'm um, in the first, you know, even if I did have it. Right. So, um, and my ex on the other hand has, um, literally her legal fees are approaching $1 million now after wow. five years. It's absolutely insane, but, um, there's probably at least three reasons, you know, why, you know, why not to be your own lawyer. I mean, uh, the, the first is you, you really need to know, you know, the law and, and, and what's going on and you, you definitely can learn it. The resources oh, yeah. are out there, absolutely. But, but they make it, you know, they make it really complicated, um, on purpose. And sometimes the judges, you know, both sides are pro se that's, probably fine, you know, but they really don't like it when you're pro se and, and they have um, a lawyer. Yep. So, um, but the first reason is you, you better really be willing to, to study and try to learn the procedures and try to learn um, what's going on, but you can do that. So that's overcomable. Um, the, the second reason why you don't want to have to be your own lawyer if you can possibly um, afford it is the just that it's emotional um, that it's extremely difficult to be um, objective and and rational because you're so devastated and you're so hurt and you're so angry and it's so unfair yeah. um, and you know, they teach you in law school that you have to have that professional distance from the client. Um, and you can't, you cannot have emotional distance uh, from yourself. Uh, but that's overcomable too. Um, uh, it takes some time, but that's just, um, that's a, that's a gut check, man. And that's something that as men, we, we need to know how to do. Um, you know, it's, it, we had to do that. You know, if we, you know, back when we were doing sports or w w whatever it is that you can draw on when you're climbing that mountain, 
that thing where as a man, you go into that male mode and you find that toughness and you find that, you know, I, I can do that, that calmness under fire, you know, whatever experience you've got. If you were in the military, what, whatever it was, um, you can draw on that and you can overcome that. Um, the third thing is that the, the judges will hate you if, if you're representing yourself, if, if the other side has a lawyer. Um, they understand, oh, you know, you know, he's trying to save money. And meanwhile, she has to spend all the money. Um, it, it, they, they just will hate you. And, and that part is um, extremely difficult um, to overcome. You know, if they want to, like, if you make some little procedural mistake or whatever it is, um, the judge, if they want to, they can fix it. They can let you, you know, but if they don't want to, they can nail you for the most ticky tacky, oh, wow. stupid little stuff, you know, and, and they don't need to be consistent. They don't need, it's just like, it's, you know, and they don't, they don't need to. So, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the most unfair thing of, of all of this, I mean, there's a lot of unfair things, but you know, given this money that you've worked your whole life or, you know, years for just to turn around and give it to some blood sucking divorce attorney. Um, if you can, if you can possibly, um, if you can possibly avoid it and you, I mean, you have to know yourself, um, you know, let's be honest, you know, some people can go out there and learn uh, uh, about this stuff and, and look it up and, do the paperwork and sit there and write those papers, you know, and some people just aren't going to do that, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and, and you have to know yourself. And that was one of the, that was one of the things I found when I was doing it because I had, I had a six month window between, you know, my initial court case up here and the continuance down in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And in that six months, I dove headfirst into family law. You know, I was learning everything I could about, you know, case law between the two States Right. And, you know, I tell you, I learned a hell of a lot about myself over that six months because I would work and I would come home and I would be doing research until two or three, four o'clock in the morning, learning how to do paperwork, all that stuff, you know. So but you had you had like two different cases in two different states or they transferred it or what? So what it was, the case started up here in Montana and Montana kicked it down to Kentucky based off of jurisdictional issues, even though you know, my son was almost a, almost a Montana resident, resident up here, you know, per the six month guideline. Well, the, this, you know, the court up here didn't want to deal with it. So they just said, well, you know, we're going to go ahead and punt it down to Kentucky. Mm. And so then six months later, I had to go back down there and basically do a replay of the first thing. Mm. You know, I, I had, a, I didn't have money. Like most, of, most of these guys, I'd spent all my money on that first attorney. You know, I didn't have the money to get another attorney. And by that point, I was so turned off by attorneys in general. I didn't want anything to do with them. I was just like, you know what? Screw this. You know, I will do this myself. And, you know, I jumped in there and figured out how to do it. But I tell you what, on a Friday and Saturday night, boy, did I get lonely. You know, 12 o'clock at night, you know, all my friends are out doing their thing. What am I doing? You know, I'm studying case law. I'm learning how to do all this stuff. but it taught me, you know, the kind of man that I am. It taught me who I am deep down inside because I was able to take 
all that anger, all that resentment, all that sadness. I was able to channel it in to this one thing. And, you know, I have custody of my son now. Wow. That's, um, that's remarkable. I mean, that is, um, that's not something, I mean, it's just a, a, a great accomplishment. I mean, I know how, how difficult it is on all of those levels. Yeah. It's, it's emotionally difficult. It's technically difficult. It, it requires stamina. I mean, just all, all, all of that, you know, and, uh, but if you, you can do it and, you know, yeah. and I will, I will second that emotion on, uh, on attorneys. You know, I, at a certain point, I became very interested in the law and that's why in my old age went to law school and, uh, and, but, uh, what I have seen and learned, um, I know what it is attorneys actually do for a living. And it's not, it's not every single last one that's evil. There are a few good ones. There yeah. are a, a few, and I'm, I'm fortunate to know, um, as, as, you know, some that are, that are actually have a heart and actually do good work and are honest. That's really it. Well, and that's the big but, thing with it is the honesty aspect of it. The, 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 the vast majority of them, I mean, the majority are, are despicable, they're evil, they lie, and the system is set up to, to, to reward that. I mean, there's a lot of situations where that's just what they have to do, you know. So um, that's why I made a decision. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to try to fight this fight a, a, a different kind of way. Yep. No. And I, I totally understand that. You know, I absolutely understand where you're coming from on that. You know, in the, in the course of doing this for myself, I've had a lot of people say, you know, well, why don't you want to, why don't you become an attorney? It's because I don't want to be an attorney, dude. I hate attorneys. Yeah. You know, and it's for that fact that you sit there and you watch this, you know, I've talked to other fathers who have gone down the road that have gotten just bent over by attorneys when they didn't have to be. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's what it comes down to. You know, I would rather work with these guys one-on-one -on -one than sacrifice my morals and my ethics to go jump in the, jump in the pool and swim with those guys. Yeah. Now there is a thing I should, I should tell you and, and, and maybe the, the listeners about um, in California, unlike, I believe, unlike any other state, there are online law schools that you can go to and there are there are several of them there's there's four or five um different ones and you can completely on your laptop um from home attend law school and graduate and get a G jd and become eligible to take the california bar really yeah and um which is how i did it i went to this online school called um northwestern california university school of law um and um they're they're good they basically they just they focus the whole thing on how are you going to pass the bar? It's a four-year program, and it is a ton of work. I mean, it's legit. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely have to do the work. Uh, you have to pass the test, and you have to learn all this stuff. And um, there is, uh, for anybody who's even remotely thinking about it, there is a ton of memorization, which is it's really – it's mind control is really what it is. Um, um, they make you, um, you'd think that you should just be able to look stuff up because that's what lawyers do in yeah. the real world. They, they, as soon as they get out of law school, the first thing they do is forget everything that they had, <laughs> had to memorize. But you have to, by rote memorization, memorize all these rules of law 
and, and all these definitions and all this stuff. And you have to be able to just regurgitate them from memory under test timed conditions, you know? So um, if that's not your thing, um, then, then that's not your thing, you know? So just a word of warning, but um, it is a, a cool thing though, to, to be able to just go to law school and at Starbucks or, you know, or in your bed, you know, it's, um, it's, um, thank God for technology, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, amazing. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap it up? Um, just, um, that I, I'm out here. I, I'm this guy and I am trying to do things. I am trying to, um, um, I'm trying to not to use a, a totally uh, overused ancient old um, cliche, but I, I'm trying to, uh, you know, when life gives you lemons, make uh, make a lemon daiquiri, right? Or whatever it is. Um, so I, I am trying to um, create a um, an animated feature film that's uh, it's called Adam Bravery and I've been working on it off and on for uh, over two years but it's um, it's a story of a, a young musician who's going to college for the very first time and he just wants to rock out and party and find a girlfriend but the Me Too movement and he's the you know, on his controlling mother and the remnants of his divorce as a child are you know completely uh, standing in his way so I'm trying to take a bunch of this, um, ex, you know, experience. I've got the evil divorce lawyer character. And it's a whole script that I've written. Um, I'm wanting to, um, to put my talents um, to work. And I just find myself very, very overwhelmed. So I, again, just want to reach out. Um, I want to create this family law survival guide. Um, and I could just use help of somebody um, you know, a, a, a web person or just, just whoever, whatever. Um, and anybody else out there who, who, you know, um, you know, can see that there's, there's talent and possibilities here who wants to reach out. I want to, I'll drop my email address again. Anybody yeah, wants absolutely. to know? So my name's Alex Baker, Alexander C. Baker, JD. Um, and my email address is acebaker one, two, three, four at yahoo.com. So I hope to hear from uh, like-minded people out there who want to advance the cause and give me some ideas. What, what, what can we all do? And what's, how, how are we going to, how are we going to win this? How are we going to win this? Not only in courts of law, but in the court of public opinion. Yeah. You know? and I think that's the bigger one right there is the court of public opinion in all honesty, you know, with, with the advent of social media and everything, man, it's, it's, it's a monster when you pair those two together. So that's, that's the conversation I want to have, you know, um, how, how do we continue to, I mean, now there's a lot of people that, I mean, what you're doing is, is it, but um, here's a, you know, maybe I'll leave with one story from, yeah, from, from the past. Um, so we all know that 70, 80 years ago, there was a, a horrific medical procedure called lobotomy, right? And we, we know this. And at the time, it was being put out there as safe and effective. And they were publishing these studies that said just that. And a guy called uh, Egas Moniz even won the Nobel Prize for doing lobotomies. And um, how did they finally bring that to a stop? Well, there were legal actions, and that was part of it. 
but maybe the biggest single thing that happened that eventually brought lobotomy down was a book and then later on a movie academy award-winning movie called one flew over the cuckoo's nest um and and so i want to believe that there's something that's going to happen in this this horrible nightmare of family court and dependency courts um i know for a fact there are millions of people who feel the same way that that, that you and i do about this i i know this um and um so i want to have a conversation about how you know how we can somehow do the same kind of thing for this as they did uh in in, in one flew over the cuckoo's nest um so because it's that court of public opinion that where we can we can really win this thing so that's that's absolutely. what i'm uh, next time. absolutely alex well my friend i want to thank you for coming on tonight and i definitely want to have you back on again Absolutely. Uh, it, it, anytime, man, just, just, just reach out. It was, it was great. I can't believe it went so fast. It was really nice to meet you. And uh, I look forward to doing it again, man. It was a pleasure, Alex. And we will talk to you again. Okay. Got it. All right, my friends, have yourself a good night. Okay. All right, guys. So that was Alex. Man, the guy's wealth of knowledge. He knows his stuff, absolutely. Um, so that's the show for this week, okay? And Alex, as Alex said, if you guys are interested in helping him out, um, drop, him, drop him an email, okay? Um, and uh, see what you guys can get going. So I want to thank everybody for listening, everybody who watched. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next time. All right, guys, take care.